Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. I'm Adam Elwan, and today I have with me the new chair of our risk assessment committee, Roberto Scazzola, and Maria Otati, who chairs our socioeconomic analysis committee. Both committees give scientific opinions that guide the European Commission and EU countries when taking decisions to regulate chemical risks effectively. So, Roberto and Maria have just finished their September meetings, and we have a lot to talk about. They'll be updating us on the ongoing evaluation of the universal PFAS restriction proposal, and this is something we already touched upon in our earlier episodes. You can find the links to those in this episode's description. We'll also be talking about France's proposal to restrict uses of creosote and its related substances. In particular, the second-hand uses of wood that is treated with these substances. Roberto will then shed light on the new CLP hazard classes and what they mean for the work of the committee. And Maria, you have some news for us about a working group that's being set up. I do indeed. And you'll also be talking us through new EU reference values used for monetizing the health impacts of chemicals in applications for authorization and restriction proposals. I will do so. Uh, but let's start by introducing our newcomer, Roberto. So welcome to your first Safer Chemicals podcast. Thank you very much, Hada. I'm very good to be here. So you've just chaired your first committee meeting. How did it go? What are your first impressions? Well, it was exciting. I'm really grateful of the opportunity to chair this committee. As you can imagine, trembling voice at the beginning, but then I think RAC 66 <laughs> went relatively well. So I'm very happy. And maybe if I can say a few words, I truly believe RAC is central to EU policies on chemicals for the protection of human health and environment. So what RAC does, it has a real impact on our lives. So very proud of being part of this team. So pleasure to have you with us, Roberto, and glad to hear that you've had a smooth enough handover, hopefully. Um, then let's jump right into the meeting topics. So starting with you, Maria, can you give us the update then on the PFAS restriction proposal? Hi, Adam. Yes, I will. So at this point, it's important to remember that the consultation is still open. And of course, we are working on the basis of the original proposal that was made by the five member states. Uh, this will be updated later. So we are at a quite preliminary uh, stage. And uh, we discussed both in RAC and in SEAC opinions that were focusing, well, first on some general aspects, uh, looking at the approach that we would take in the opinion making. Uh, and then we had some very preliminary discussions about uh, um, the opinions focusing on PFAS in food contact materials and in packaging. So there, of course, uh, they will return to the committee when the consultation is closed and we know whether the uh, five member states have updated their, their proposal about them. So it was all very preliminary, but we reached some conclusions. Uh, RAC also had a few discussions on uh, additional topics. I don't know, Roberto, if you'd like to say a few words about them. Indeed, Maria, thank you. And uh, RAC additionally look at the scope and the hazards that were covered also with preliminary conclusions reached during the meeting. So indeed, we had a very good discussion as well. Um, we will be going through the proposal by different sectors. So in different plenaries, we will be discussing different sectors and we will be having conclusions for, for each of those. So, you know, the, in this one, we have started by trying out the, the approach on one of them and uh, more will be coming. Uh, but these first discussions were actually quite a good, uh, good start. We had quite lively discussions. Uh, it was nice also to have many stakeholders present in the meeting, uh, giving their views and uh, 
providing us with additional information on, on, on certain topics. So we expect that uh, this will continue throughout the process as and well. And just uh, what you said there about many stakeholders, did you have more than normally? Uh, were there other you know new interests represented or sectors? or? Yeah, we have got uh, quite a few more people requesting to join than we normally do. Uh, we are considering meeting by meeting uh, which stakeholders are most relevant for the sector and topics that are discussed there. So, you know, we will look at uh, everyone who asked to join and then decide who it is that that we allow on this one. Okay, so quite a lively meeting. Yes, definitely. And maybe one element I would like to add, as mentioned by Maria earlier, uh, it's important to remind the public consultation is still open. The 25th of September, it will be the closure. We have already received about uh, 3,700 comments. There is still time to have your say. However, keep in mind comments should be substantiated and evidence-based, and the comments received are being and will be carefully scrutinized and considered in the opinion making. Okay, and I would assume that as with previous restrictions, a lot of the comments end up coming quite late as well. So if you have 3,700 now, you can only imagine what we will get. There's often the a bit big of flurry of comments on the very last day, actually. So yeah, definitely. Is there anything you can say about the next steps then after the consultation has ended? Yes, in the December meetings, we will do two things. We will have an overview of the consultation input, so provide some information about what has come in and uh, the topics that, that we're covering there. Right. And we're also hoping that by then we will have a clearer timeline regarding our work. I mentioned earlier that we would be taking things uh, sector by sector. Mm -hmm. So by December, we hope we will have some ideas to which sectors, when, uh, and that sort of thing, and we will be communicating that to, to those present. Uh, but that we can only do until we we know the final number of comments and also that uh, once we see how much information they contain, because all that would need to be processed both by ourselves and by the five member states who are then updating the, the proposal. Uh, so then in March, we expect that we will be having opinions that will be focusing on consumer mixtures cosmetics and ski wax. But that's what we can say at the moment. That's the initial planning and everything is, uh, you know, e everything is in flux at the moment. Uh, and then, Sorry, just to interrupt you there yeah. for a second. Can I ask why, why specifically those? So those are the ones where we think that uh, we may not have that much more new information and then the proposal may not change too much right. so that we may be able to have a stable opinion by then. But it all depends on what actually comes in the consultation. So then after that, we will continue to develop the opinions during the upcoming meeting. So we'll cover all the sectors that come in and we, we will give them all the proper uh, attention that they deserve. Uh, and of course, just a reminder of what it is that we are doing. These form the view of ECAS committees. And then after that, the decision makers take over and then they are the ones who actually decide what happens. Right, as usual. Exactly. Restrictions. All right, good. Thank you both for the update. Um, we'll definitely be following this one with interest in the podcast and giving you, our listeners, the latest updates throughout the committee opinion-making stages. So please do tune in to our, our future episodes as well. Um, let's then move on to the proposed restriction of creosote-treated wood. So it's used as fences, under piers, in gardens, and also in public spaces like shops. It is used for its high durability against weathering, but nevertheless, creosote and these related substances are hazardous, and they're already subject to existing regulations. Now, this proposal comes from France, and it's for restricting the placing on the market, the reuse, and secondary use of wood treated with these substances. It covers altogether nine substances, and it aims, of course, then to reduce the risks to health and the environment. 
Now, the existing restriction uh, is already in place under REACH. Um, and also under the Biocidal Products Regulation, creosote is now only allowed to be used as a wood preservative, very specific here, for railway sleepers and utility poles. Um, where does this proposal fit into the picture? Yeah, indeed. This is quite complex. The interactions are pretty complicated. We spent a fair bit of time in the plenary making sure that we all understood where everything went and, you know, what the restriction was covering and what it wasn't covering. So looking at BPR, uh, that's been there since April this year and uh, it's covering the first time placing on the market of railway sleepers and utility poles, only those those two uses of creosote wood. So basically um, the decision made in BPR allows them to be treated with creosote products and only in those countries that assess that uh, this is necessary for them. Uh, Finland, for instance, is one of them uh, and there's a list of those member states on the ECA website. Now, when we look at REACH, there is an entry in REACH already, and it does allow some reuses and some secondary uses. But now there is a proposal from France that uh, proposes to ban the secondary use completely. Now, this whole reuse, secondary use, that was something as well that we had to cover in uh, and remind people a lot what they meant. So basically, by secondary use, uh, we mean using the wood for a different purpose than the one that was used in the first place, the, you know, the, the first placing on the market. So for instance, if you take railway sleepers and then you use them as garden fences. Quite a lot of people do, do that. Uh, and then we have reuse. And that is also using the wood again, but it's using the wood again for the same purpose as it was originally used. So for instance, if you take a railway sleeper and you move it from one track to the other, or you sell it to another railway company within the same country, that, that sort of thing, that is reuse. Uh, so in the proposal that France sent, they would allow reuse only in the same member state, and this only if it's permitted under the BPR, as we said, it's, it's not in all of them. And it would only be allowed by the same original user, so the same company that was already used it. And it's important to remember on this one that wood that is already in use, so the much, much wood that is already in piers, in fences or embankments or wherever, that would not have to be immediately removed. It's only when it comes to the end of the service life that it needs to be disposed of as a hazardous waste and it needs to be replaced with a different solution because it's not allowed to be used in the first place other than as uh, railway sleepers and utility poles. Indeed. Quite complex, but thank you, Maria, for trying to shed some clarity. I would also like to add that this is a restriction that will have direct effects on the market, but also on our lives, because wood treated in this way is still available. We notice this on online sales, on internet, so despite the existing restriction. So the problem lies with the wording of the current rich restrictions, because it has been interpreted differently among the EU member states, and this indicates that existing measures are not enough to control the risk. Therefore, the, the, this restriction is also not aligned with the new approval process of creosote as an active biocidal substance under the related regulation. So the aim here is clearly to clarify the current rules on wood treated with creosote. Since the biocidal regulation only addresses the first placing on the market of the treated wood, REACH can address the risks arising from placing on the second-hand market distribution, reuse, and secondary uses of creosote treated wood. Okay, maybe one thing that you mentioned I'd like to still dig a bit deeper on. So you said that, you know, these, this can still be bought, this wood, online, Indeed. despite the restrictions. So what you're, in effect, saying that uh, online sellers are providing these products without... 
unlawfully essentially yeah well this everything lies on the different interpretation of the current restriction so we can clearly say that the proposal is there to fill that gap and so what can i say is that the committee rack supported that a restriction on a new wide basis is needed to minimize emissions to the environment but also the exposure to the general public why so because creosote contains a mixture of polyaromatic hydrocarbons, they are also called PAHs, and fulfills the criteria for persistency, bioaccumulation, and toxicity, or even very persistent and very bioaccumulative. In some cases, they can even cause cancer. So these are all regarded as non-threshold properties. So meaning that the only way to control them is to minimize emissions and exposure as much as we can. We have also evidence that used creosote-treated wood like slippers and utility poles for electricity or telecommunications are indeed sold in many EU member states. And secondary uses and reuse may also expose people and the environment to these hazardous substances. Such treated wood has been used in landscaping, agricultural fencing, garden fencing, construction like in terraces, furniture, lamps, benches, shelves. And maybe something interesting, it can be easily recognized by its characteristic strong smell. So all of them are secondary uses we want to address with the current restriction. I assume there will be quite a role then for enforcement to check, for example, these online marketplaces and others that might be still selling them. Um, so we're talking about really harmful chemicals here. Um, is there something the committee recommends that's different from France's proposal? Yes, indeed. Thank you, Adam, for the question. I can mention two things in particular. Firstly, the committee recommends allowing reuse of railway slippers and utility poles by professional users in general, and not just only by the original user as originally proposed by France. In this case, the use must be the same, same risk management measures as the ones identified under the biocidal product regulation will need to be applied and the use should take place in the same member states where first placed on the market. And only as long as the BPR allows the use of freshly creosote-treated wood. The second element relates to the substances in scope. RAC supports keeping all creosote-like substances except one of the nine that is called wood creosote. This is because this group of substance does not share the same hazardous properties since it has not been identified as a carcinogen or fulfilling PBT and persistent and very bioaccumulative criteria. It is also unclear if the substance has ever been used at all as wood preservative in the EU. That's the reason why we did not include it. So to summarize, this EU-wide restriction is needed really to clarify and replace the existing REACH restriction, but the committee still considers that more work is needed on the restriction text itself to make it clearer. Indeed, and probably you can measure the complexity by the difficulty we are having explaining you in simple <laughs> matters how this should be carried out, but we do our best. Thank you for that. All right. Um, now, Maria, the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee agreed its draft opinion, and that's already open for comments until the 7th of November. Um, what are the key points of the opinion? Well, the first one is that, uh, like RAC, SEAC differs from the dossier submit to proposal. And we consider that allowing reuse by other professional users as well as the original user would be preferable. Um, the reason is because what the alternatives are. Under BPR, those who are currently reusing creosote-treated wood, so they're buying their railway sleepers from another uh, train operating company, they could just simply buy freshly creosote-treated wood. 
because that's allowed in those member states. Uh, so rather than buying alternatives, which are generally more expensive, what we think is going to happen is that just buying new freshly treated creosote wood. Uh, and the issue is that uh, freshly treated wood leaches into the environment more than old wood. So if we allow uh, reuse by other professional users, then they would be using this older wood that is leaching less uh, rather than using new one that is leaching more. So then we think that this leads to better environmental impacts than banning the reuse by, by other professional users. Uh, and then as for human health uh, to the workers, these are professional users. And as Roberto said, they would have to use it with the same risk management measures that are prescribed in the BPR. So we think that that wouldn't be, wouldn't be an issue. Um, for this option, the cost would also be lower if reuse by other professional uses is allowed because they would be uh, you know, buying something that is, that is cheaper for them and then the disposal happens later on, not right now. Uh, so we think that this option is actually better both in terms of cost and in benefits. So we think that this is a more proportionate uh, option than what the dossier submitter is proposing. Uh, so... It's important to note, and you were talking earlier a little bit about enforcement, that SEAC prefers this option to the one proposed by France only as long as allowing this trade between companies doesn't lead to the wood getting into the hands of the general public. So that's the main thing that we're looking for info on during the consultation to see whether enforcement could be adequate to actually prevent this. Right. So we also concluded that the restriction in general is proportionate. It's more proportionate if we go for the option that we're saying, where the reuse by the other professional users is allowed. But even if we go for the France proposal, then that's also proportionate. So this is based on the fact that there are high health benefits for the public. Uh, and this is because the secondary uses, so if, as I mentioned earlier, the ones for different uses than the first one, uh, but those are banned and uh, the cost of the restriction are relatively low. So when we're talking about the general public, um, the ban of secondary uses, for instance, in gardens is the most relevant one. And that's because the general public is not really trained to handle creosote treated wood. They may, they may, without really knowing so, be exposed to cancer causing substances. And we really want to prevent that. And that is what we think is going to bring the real health benefits of this restriction. Could you still, Maria, clarify what kind of information you expect in the 60-day consultation? Well, as I mentioned, it's this issue about enforcement, about whether allowing trade between companies uh, would have a secondary, let's say, effect of, uh, of allowing it to get into the hands of the general public. As we said, that's really what we want to prevent. Mm -hmm. And then, as usual, we're looking into the transitional period. We're proposing a transitional period of 12 months, uh, which is what the, the dossier submitter had proposed. And uh, we want to know if this would be appropriate to allow all the steps needed to be implemented to comply with the restriction. And if there are stakeholders who think that it doesn't, they should submit well-justified information explaining why a different uh, period would be more appropriate. Right. Okay. Good. Thank you. Um, what about then the next steps for this proposal? What are they? Well, as you said, the consultation is already open and uh, this is to allow us to adopt this opinion in December. So we need to have some turnaround time between the comments coming in and the latest version of the opinion coming. So this finalizes the committee's evaluation. And then after that, we send it to the commission for consideration. And as usual, they'll take the final decision together with the EU member states. All right. So we'll likely be coming back to this topic then in December after the next Exactly. Meetings. Good. Um, now let's continue with Roberto and the new hazard classes under the classification, labeling and packaging regulation. 
Now, the committee was given a presentation about the eight new classes. So there were four for endocrine disruption, two for persistent bioaccumulative and toxic substances, and two for persistent mobile and toxic substances. Um, these new classes have been enforced since April 2023. Um, they will be impacting the work of the committee and in their opinion making on harmonized classification and labeling proposals. Roberto, can you share what is expected from the committee on these? Well, exciting times ahead of us, for sure. Um, what I would like to mention first is the ECA guidance is ongoing, uh, the revision of it, actually. And RAC is being consulted currently on this, so it will be very important that this uh, guidance will be available as soon as possible. But considering all the various sectors, I don't think this will happen before mid of 2024. In addition, I think it's also good to remind that uh, nothing changes in terms of administrative process. As usual, all CLH go through an accordance check, and so ECA decides whether the quality is good enough to be processed. For the first cases, I think we should also expect uh, a good cooperation between the dossier submitter and, and ECA, since uh, it will be the first time we implement new criteria. So this is, I would say, rather fair expectation. And then, as usual, only other classes that have been opened by the submitter on the proposal itself can be assessed by RAC. So unfortunately, the committee cannot decide to insert, let's say, endocrine disruptor assessment if the dossier itself was not containing such a proposal, also because there will be no public consultation. Uh, in any case, what is important to mention is that as of April of this year, CLH proposal on those new other classes can be uh, definitely submitted. Uh, we do not have yet concrete cases. We heard about potential intentions, but we don't have anything concrete right now. So we are aware a couple of member states are really keen to work on that, but uh, we will know more, I think, in the coming weeks. And uh, to remind our listeners, so at present, only EU countries and companies can propose harmonized classification and labeling, right? Well, that's very important because harmonized classification, it's obligatory. So all substances in Europe must be classified in the same way. And indeed, this is normally done by member states. But in some instances, even industry can submit a proposal. But the moment a substance has been already harmonized, only member states can change the very same proposal. For the future, we will see CLPs under revision. There is a proposal also to empower the Commission of the possibility to submit a dossier, but it depends on the European Parliament and European Council discussion, so to be seen. And when do you expect to get your first proposals on these new classes? Well, let me be frank on that. We would prefer to receive proposals only after the guidance being available because it will make our life easier. On the other end, uh, I think a proposal can be tabled anytime, any moment. We have been made aware of a couple of cases. I think we will soon see something in the Register of Intentions, but I don't want to say more because until it's published, it's, it's not official. So I would expect first cases to be there in 2024. I would also like to mention ECA has already expertise in the new other classes. We have expert groups and we are actively looking into how we can value the, their experience into the process. But we are at the very beginning, so I cannot really mention much, much more on that. And also worth mentioning that we have already substances that have been identified for those new properties and uh, they will be transferred into CLP into the so-called Annex 6, that is this long list of substances harmonized. Now, if somebody wants help support guidance before the actual guidance is ready, is there any way for them to get that? 
Well, contact ECA, I would say, that's the first point, because indeed we will be the recipient of the new proposals. And uh, we are already in contact with a couple of member states that showed really willingness to go in that direction. But my suggestion is really contact the colleagues in ECA dealing with classification and labeling, because they are really the, the good entry point for this. Uh, so is it correct that there are already substances that have these properties? Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, endocrine disruptors in, as a concept has been around for a while. Uh, there are already some regulatory areas where uh, we have identified substances of very high concern on the basis of those properties, so including endocrine disrupting properties. And for those one, they will be moved to CLP. That's maybe the good news because we'll, we will have one single repository for all those classification. I would also like to mention that in the Commission Impact Assessment on CLP, there were estimation on what will happen with the implementation of the new hazard classes. And I think it's a fair assumption that for human health, a lot of endocrine disrupting substances have been already severely classified. So changes might be minor. It's different for endocrine disruptor for environment where the situation is much less clear. So I think two, three years probably to really be able to assess the real impact of the new hazard classes. Um, now let's move back to you, Maria. The committee agreed to set up this new working group with the task to revise its approach for recommending review periods in authorization opinions. First for our listeners, so all authorizations to use substances of very high concern, so SVHCs, are time limited and they need to be reviewed when the authorization is about to close. Now, the review periods are normally between 4 to 12 years and they aim to push companies towards safer alternatives within this given time frame. In its opinions, the committee gives recommendations for the length of these review periods. So Maria, why is this working group needed? Well, we already have a paper that sets out our approach uh, and it looks at what does the committee need to take into account when we're recommending a, a review period for these uh, applications for authorization. But this approach is from 2013. So 10 years. Yeah, so it's 10 years old and things have changed since then. The opinion and decision-making process have developed. We've had several court cases. Uh, for instance, we have um, now with applications quite often substitution plans, which uh, basically go into the detail about what the companies are planning to do to substitute. And in the cases where we don't have substitution plans, because they're legally mandated only for, for some cases, we have something called an R&D plan. So we always have that kind of information, which we didn't at the beginning. Uh, and other needs and practices have developed. So what we need to do is to incorporate that into our approach to reflect better the way we're doing things now and to actually uh, show how these uh, new elements should play with the rest of the elements that we have. Uh, the other thing as well is that uh, that paper assumed that all the applications would be coming in by the latest application date. Right. They would all be at the same time. Uh, that doesn't really work at the moment, particularly with uh, some of the Cromit cases. As we know, they have been coming all the time since now because of, of certain legal developments. Uh, so we really need to look at this. And what we have done is to put uh, together a working group made up of five members from the committees and also two commission experts, because we need to remember that this uh, recommendation is then used by the commission and we need to make sure that we give them what they need to then be able to uh, propose a review period to, to be granted. Uh, so, yeah, the idea is that we want to be quite transparent and efficient in opinion making. So to make it clear uh, to the applicants what we will be considering and also so that we don't have to discuss every time, every single detail about how we will approach things, but that we will have an approach um, as we do now, but one that is uh, more uh, suited to the current situation. 
Okay, and when do you expect this work to be ready? Well, we have um, planned for agreement in March, which is going to be our next in-person meeting. The one in December will be remote. Uh, and in December, we will just have a status update and discussion where we aim to discuss basically some initial proposals from the working group with the committee and get their feedback. And will it then be published on our website as yep. well? Immediately after being agreed, we'll publish it on the website so that uh, those who are interested can see it straight away. Um, Maria, you also had a short session on the updated OECD health values that can be used as EU reference values. Can you explain what these are and how they're used in socioeconomic assessment? Yeah, so these values are basically about uh, how much money people are willing to pay to reduce the risk of certain health problems from chemical exposure. So the valuation by society basically of uh, reducing the risk. Uh, this can then be used as part of socioeconomic analysis, both in applications for authorization or in restriction proposals. So they help with evaluating the costs and benefits of, you know, whether it's a restriction proposal to, uh, to society or whether, you know, the, 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 the risks associated with an application for authorization, whether the costs are higher than the benefits. Um, we have values already uh, through some surveys that were done several years back. And now uh, there has been an OECD project called SWASH or SWACHE. It's pronounced in very different <laughs> ways by very different people. Uh, this stands for Surveys on Willingness to Pay to Avoid ne Negative Chemicals Related Health Impacts. Uh, and they did surveys, uh, 46 surveys in 22 countries covering five health effects. And they had quite a lot of respondents per country, about 1,200 respondents per country and per health effect. And this is really a gold standard in terms of uh, these sorts of surveys. The results of this, this project were presented to SEAC in June. Um, now, when applied in the context of REACH, these values need to be adjusted for just covering only the EU and also be adjusted by purchasing power and inflation. So we've done that and we have proposed them to SEAC to add those new values to our current paper on, on reference values. And so these values can now be used by companies who are applying for authorization and also those preparing restriction proposals. Yes, indeed. They will be accepted by SEAC in applications for authorization and restriction proposals. So if they're using those values, SEAC will not need to assess the methodology behind it because we accept that they have been arrived at in, you know, in an appropriate way. Right. Uh, but of course, other values can also be used. Uh, and if other values are used, SEAC will have to do that assessment of, of how solid they are. It may be that for a particular country, there are other values derived in different ways that could be more appropriate, but um, we, will, we will assess that. So these are only there uh, to be used if it's felt appropriate. Thank you both for your explanations and insight into the work of the committees. Now, the next meetings take place then at the end of November and early December. And I'm very much looking forward to having you both back here in the studio with us then. To our listeners, your feedback is invaluable to us and we want to keep improving our podcast. So please do take a moment to share your thoughts and ideas by filling out our feedback form. The link to the form is also in our episode description. Thank you for listening. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.